From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm. I'm a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council, and it is my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony with you this evening. Before we get into the program, a quick reminder that your gift to Family Research Council can be doubled between now and December 31st. Thanks to the generous support of friends of FRC, you can take advantage of this opportunity by calling 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Again, have your support doubled between now and December 31st. Call 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Today on the program... Title 42, which has been used to slow illegal immigration during COVID, is about to be repealed. Fears are that tens of thousands will begin crossing the border illegally every day. What does this mean for life in border towns and border states? The mayor of Midland, Texas, joins us today to discuss that. Also, a group of House Republicans have threatened to oppose future legislation from Senate Republicans who vote for the omnibus bill currently being debated. We will talk to one of the House Republicans who have made that threat today. Also, as you heard, President Zelensky is on Capitol Hill as we speak, meeting with President Biden and members of Congress. The omnibus bill currently proposed sends an additional $45 billion to Ukraine. Is that a good idea or not? We'll discuss all of that with General Jerry Boykin. But our headline today, as we have been highlighting over the past couple of weeks, negotiation of the massive federal spending package in the waning hours of the 117th Congress before a Republican majority is seated in the House, presents a threat to American families. And that threat is now playing out both in the underlying text of the omnibus bill and in the earmarks. Here to tell us more about what he and his team have found in the 4,000-page measure is Travis Weber, FRC's Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs. Travis, good to see you today. Thank you. Well, we've been tracking this uh, hour by hour, it seems, over the last few days. What's the latest on the omnibus? Yeah, I mean, well, the latest is that we're, our government is <clears throat> looking at the possibility of, of sending trillions of dollars out the door in, in a matter of, of, of spending hours or maybe days considering a 4,000-plus page, page bill, this is no way to govern. It, it's, it's really quite ridiculous and tragic when you look at the uh, way that we're recklessly spending money, recklessly approving um, whole new areas of law, new, new areas of authorization of funds, uh, setting up new new uh, statutory uh, frameworks with the omnibus of concern to us, the amount of money that the Biden administration is going to send uh, to fund the Department of Veterans Affairs, which we know it wants to use to get around federal law on uh, performing abortions, and it wants to enable its abortion ideology uh, and further that ideology through the Department of Veterans Affairs. There's also included in this package the Prevent Pandemics Act, which its title uh, means one thing, but the Biden administration is using it to, again, uh, allow for an abortion loophole that could fund Planned Parenthood and other groups. Plus, we're seeing millions of dollars in earmarks for special interest LGBT groups, special pet projects, pork barrel spending by members who want to fund uh, these things in their own backyards. And, and it, it, some of these are quite ridiculous, but we should not be spending millions of dollars on special uh, projects earmark projects that, that, are, that are setting up and furthering radical sexual ideologies against the interests of parents and American families. So this thing has a lot to be concerned about. Um, unfortunately, it looks like our government, once again, is, is on the verge of passing it. There's some discussion about different amendments to the bill. But um, overall, it looks like uh, this is going to pass uh, the Senate and then the House in the coming days. Now, Travis, we've highlighted the fact that this is really being fast-tracked through uh, what is uh, unconventional legislative means. Uh, something like this really should uh, spend time in a committee, uh, be debated there, then be sent to the floor, where we have the time to deliberate 4,000 pages, $1.7 billion. But there are amendments being proposed in the Senate as it's being debated. Can you tell us about some of those and whether any of them have any chances of being successful? Yeah, so we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, wait and see on the, the, the chance of passage. Uh, we do know that um, 
Senator Cassidy wants to inject the, the insert the entire Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act, which, again, it sounds uh, like it's uh, to protect employees of corporations who are pregnant, but uh, there's a big abortion loophole in this thing. And um, he wants to put that in the bill. And um, with his amendment, Senator Langford wants to protect the religious freedom of religious organizations who might be subjected to uh, the provisions of this bill. We'll have to wait and see whether these these amendments, um, uh, one including the entire the entire bill, the entire Pregnancy Workers Act, are successful. Others um, by Senator Paul, Mike Lee, other other um, other senators with amendments um, dealing with immigration, Title 42, and uh, a host of different different concerns, uh, federal funds to transport uh, immigrants, but. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the amendments, the successful adoption or rejection of these amendments should not distract us from the colossal mismanagement and reckless way this entire bill has been put together out of sight for most members who are now then given a day to digest it, expected to swallow its provisions. Uh, this, is, this is really not the way to govern. It's a shame that our Congress is doing this right now. Now, Travis, one of the most outspoken opponents of this in the Senate has been Senator Rand Paul uh, from Kentucky, and he talks about this as a matter of national security and in saying that this omnibus bill actually poses a threat to national security. I want to go ahead and play clip four, and Travis, I want to discuss this with you. Republican leadership says this is a victory because we're getting more military spending, but it's a victory at what expense? Are we actually more secure? Are we more safe? Is our national security more protected by spending more on the military? Or is our national security actually more threatened by incurring more debt? I would argue the latter. Travis, what's your response to this idea that spending is a greater national threat to our a threat to our national security uh, than defense spending provides. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good that he's challenging the typical ways of thinking, the typical paradigms that, you know, we just need to fund, uh, spend, 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 and, and anything that kind of gets thrown the general direction of the military uh, sounds good. I think uh, Rand Paul is challenging that. It's, it's good to challenge that because we shouldn't necessarily just proceed on the assumptions we've been proceeding on i.e. throw a bunch of money in the direction of the DOD, and we're going to have more national security. We know that the DOD is funding some things that are certainly not contributing to the protection and readiness of, Amer of American troops, uh, funding woke ideologies, uh, spending, you know, continuing to support the idea that we can somehow um, ha have, have military service members who want to walk down the transgender lifestyle. And, and uh, that is somehow consistent with and even supporting a military readiness. We're spending money and focus and attention on that. It's not just the money. It's a matter of the, uh, the, the, the furtherance of um, sending the signal. That is what we should be focusing our time on. Travis Weber, thank you for monitoring this all week. And thanks for your time today. Thank you. Now, one of the other stories that we are following very carefully this week has to do with Title 42, the immigration policy established in response to the COVID-19 pandemic that was set to expire today, but now remains in limbo as the Supreme Court delayed any action in response to an appeal from 21 states. Yesterday, the Biden administration requested that the court let the policy end, but only after delaying at least until after Christmas. So what can we expect going forward? Joining me to discuss that is Representative August Pfluger. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, is the ranking member on the House Committee on Homeland Security Subcommittee on Intelligence and Counterterrorism. Counter he represents the 11th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Pfluger, thanks for taking some time today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, and apparently... It's not the only thing uh, to have something jammed up in a bill, but also the Washington traffic, which is preventing me from being uh, on camera. But uh, you bring up an important issue, uh, which is the issue of Title 42 and how it relates to our border security in Texas. Yeah. And tell us a bit about that. You are in a border state. Um, we've all just kind of been waiting to see if Title 2 and when Title 42 would be repealed, what the impact of that would be. How are you in Congress and uh, people in Texas uh, preparing for this? Well, first off, to start with Texas, 
um, you know, the only person who's really doing anything uh, in uh, when you compare the federal government to to states is Governor Abbott. And he's taking the action uh, to try and secure our border using National Guard troops, having uh, a variety of different layers of defense. Um, but let's be clear, Title 42 um, is a stopgap measure. It's the only thing that Border Patrol, Customs, and other CBP uh, agents and officers are able to use right now. It's not intended for border security. The real issues with border security lie with the lack of political will of the Biden administration. And, you know, when you go down there, and I was just there a few weeks ago in El Paso, it's tragic. I mean, it, it's absolutely tragic. And let me put this in perspective. Right now, we have about 8,000 illegal immigrants coming across the southwest border daily. If Title 42 were to end today, Border Patrol agents are telling us that it will be 15,000 a day. This is tragic, and it's because those human trafficking organizations, cartels, and criminal organizations are out there, and they're incentivized by the money that they're making off of each one of these people. It's, it's really a modern-day form of slavery, if you will. Now, when we in our next segment, uh, Congressman, we're going to talk to the mayor of Midland, Texas, about how this is affecting uh, communities and, and towns in Texas and border border states and border towns and, and how this is affecting their life, because that's very different than just the political implications of, of this for our nation. But what, what's interesting about this entire story is that there seems to be a real disconnect within the public. Um, those who think this is one of the most serious issues our nation is facing and others who at least act as if this is a complete nothing burger. Now, is that dynamic playing itself out in Congress as well, where you see some who think it's a crisis and some who think it's nothing at all? Well, clearly, uh, and, and unfortunately, it really lies along partisan lines right now. And I applaud you for talking with Mayor Patrick Payton of Midland. He's a great leader, a patriot, someone who understands this issue and unfortunately, someone who has had to deal with this issue because of the drugs and the fentanyl and the overdosing, I mean, it is affecting every single community to the tune of over 100,000 people who died from fentanyl last year. And that's because the Biden administration has a wide open border policy, even when Secretary Mayorkas says it's closed. And let me make one other point uh, on this issue. Last year, we as Republicans went to El Paso. We were the ones who uncovered the fact that dozens of people had come across our border illegally that matched the terror watch list. We were mocked by Democrats. We were called liars by people in the media, only to find out that it was true. And now we know that the number of people who have crossed the border who matched the terror watch list in fiscal year 22 was 98 people. That's incredible. And I've said this, but the system is flashing red and our national security is at stake. We have to have an administration who will put their foot down and secure our border. Excellent points. It's, it's fentanyl. It's national security. It's an issue of dealing with terrorism. Can they just get into our country uh, easily? And it's just what's this uh, doing for life in America in these communities that are just being overrun? Congressman Pfluger, uh, thanks for your vigilance on this effort and thanks for your time as well. Thank you so much. Uh, coming up, we're going to continue this conversation, as we mentioned, with the mayor of Midland, Texas. Patrick Payton joins us when we come back to talk specifically about how this crisis is affecting life in his community and the communities in Texas. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us here on Washington Live. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible.
1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. A reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com. The ending of Title 42 may have temporarily stalled, but communities in border states still must prepare as if the measure will be lifted at any moment. What does this mean for life on the ground in these communities? How do small and mid-sized towns handle a sudden population boom? And what are their plans for dealing with drug trafficking? Joining me now to discuss this is Mayor Patrick Payton of Midland, Texas. Mayor Payton, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, thank you for letting me be on your show. It's good to be with you, and Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas to you, Mayor. Thank you so much. Uh, You've had meetings and briefings with Border Patrol on what to expect uh, the moment Title 42 is lifted. What are they telling you? Well, as you heard from Representative Fluger, who I applaud for his great leadership and, quite frankly, hope to see him in the White House someday, but uh, the briefing with the Border Patrol just really reaffirms everything that we already know, that we have a tragedy at the border, uh, it does not affect directly as far as population communities like Midland, who are about four hours away. But the problem is everything you're seeing at the border is really just a cover for what's happening with cartels and traffickers. And so the reality is the greater concern we have, and it really should should be a concern of people not just in Texas, but in the nation, is while our Border Patrol are serving this country by trying to make sure people are coming in legally and keeping people from coming in illegally, it keeps them away from the very thing they need to be doing related to drug trafficking and the cartels. And so we're watching as just literally thousands of pounds of illicit drugs and fentanyl and so on and so forth are making it through the border because of the tragedy at the border. And then it's being dispersed into our communities. And so what your listeners need to be aware of is this is more than just something happening at a river crossing. This is something deadly happening in the state and in communities where our police department, where our sheriff's department are having to be highly vigilant is making sure they're aware of what's happening with the drug trafficking that is really occurring right under our noses, underneath the unleashing of this unprecedented tragedy at the border. So really it's a, it's a population issue. It's an immigration issue, but it's a drug issue that is literally killing Americans. You describe a very serious situation there. There is concern, however, that that concern is not shared at the highest level, specifically at the White House. Now, Senator Marsha Blackburn last night was on Hannity discussing this issue, and she essentially said that they're just kind of trying to manage perception. Let's go ahead and play uh, clip one, and then I want to give you a chance to respond, Mayor. 
the Biden administration has no plan on how to deal with this situation at the border once Title 42 goes away. So what are they doing, Pete? They're going to farm out. They're going to send these individuals all across the country and say, all right, Tennessee or other states, you pay the bill. You take care of this because we, the federal government, can't figure out how to handle this. And we have to move these illegal immigrants from the border and to other areas where they're not going to be noticed. Now, Mayor, she says there that the goal of the federal government is to move these immigrants from the border to other parts of the country where they can't be noticed. Is that a fair characterization from your perspective of what's going on? I think it's 100 percent fair. As a matter of fact, if you listen to the Border Patrol, their hands are tied when it comes to what happens with immigrants who are coming from Honduras and Venezuela and Cuba and from all other places. You may have people from Mexico who are trying to immigrate for the good of their family and for the American dream, but underneath that cover, you have people from all these different countries who will not be repatriated. And this coverage does not have time for us to discuss that policy that handcuffs our border patrol. And so when you hear the representatives say that the White House doesn't have a plan, I would beg to differ. I think the White House does have a plan. They want a wide open border and they're going to take these people and they're going to ship them at taxpayer expense all over the state of Texas and all over this country. You can deny it if you want, but that's the fact and that's what's being done. And they're going to be distributed throughout the country. And behind all of that, also do not forget that the traffickers and the cartels are using these people to traffic people. One of the greatest tragedies outside of just the drug smuggling that's taking place is the human trafficking that's taking place. And so I I hope your listeners uh, are really coming to the conclusion where it's mind-boggling to think that our administration is being complicit in the destruction of people and the destruction of lives all while they're trying to couch it in this terms of us being an immigrant-friendly nation. We are an immigrant-friendly nation. We have a lawful way to do that, but they are defying the law and destroying people's lives through letting the border just be wide open and, and handcuffing the Border Patrol from doing their job, and they will not be able to handle the numbers. And make no mistake about it, it won't just be Governor Abbott busing people to places that are sanctuary cities. It will be your federal government distributing illegal immigrants all over this country without any recourse or being able or ability to find them anywhere in the nation. Now, Mayor, you describe well the seriousness of this problem. It's it's connection to human trafficking, uh, allowing terrorists across the border to fentanyl, the uh, the ability of cartels to operate. Yet you say that the White House wants this to be the policy. They want there to be an open border. If those are the consequences of an open border, why would you say that this is what they actually want? I'm afraid I can't answer that question, uh, but actions speak louder than words. And whenever your actions say that you're not going to take any reaction to what's happening at the border, then all we can interpret is this is exactly what you want to happen, whether or not you've considered the circumstances of your actions. You know, it's a lot like raising a child and you say, why did you do that? And the child says, I don't know. I mean, the federal government is in a position underneath the Biden White House where they don't know what they're doing or they either know exactly what they're doing. And I believe they know exactly what they're doing. And the last point I'll make, unless there's another question, is I hope your listeners and anybody who's going to listen to this program or hear this program just thinks about what it means to legally travel when they've traveled between countries and the reality of secure borders anywhere you travel in the world in civilized nations and somehow in this great hope of the United States of America, we have actually cheapened citizenship and and we have also cheapened what people have done under the law in order to become citizens of this great nation. We have ridiculed the sacrifices people have made to make their dreams come true under the American dream by completely cheapening the immigration process and more than that, cheapening the citizen and citizenry commitment we're asking people to make to this great country, the United States of America. So again, actions speak louder, louder than words, and their actions are all we can have to interpret that they want to see if they can destroy a border and, and, and actually, by circumstance, destroy hundreds of thousands of lives. Mayor Patrick Pay- Payton of Midland, Texas, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. 
Coming up, the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package advanced in the Senate yesterday. It's loaded with pork barrel spending and other problems. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. Stay with us. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. The $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package was advanced in the Senate yesterday as legislators attempted to rush this 4,000-page measure before the Christmas break. Here's what Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had to say earlier today. Kids, parents, veterans, nurses, workers, these are just a few of the beneficiaries of our bipartisan funding package. So there's every reason in the world for the Senate to finish its work as soon as possible. No one got everything they wanted. That's how this works. But we got a lot of good things in there to help America. It wasn't just Democrat Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer who supported it. The bill had plenty of support as 21 Republican senators voted to advance the bill as well. However, Several House GOP members have threatened to freeze legislation from any Republican senator who supports the omnibus package when the Senate House Republicans are in control in the next congressman. Joining me now is one of those House members, U.S. Representative Matt Rosendale, who's a member of the House Freedom Caucus, the Veterans Affairs Committee, and the Committee on Natural Resources. He represents Montana's at-large congressional district. Congressman Rosendale, good to see you today. Hi, Joseph. Good to be with you. Now, we've talked about this showdown. You've signed this letter uh, threatening to freeze legislation from Senate Republicans in the from Senate Republicans who in in the next session. Why have you taken that stance? Uh, Joseph, it's about the only stance that we had remaining. It was the only leverage that we had remaining. Uh, We could see the momentum building. Uh, Chuck Schumer says that pretty much everyone was getting something out of this bill. He's about right. I I don't know what demographic that they left out. There's more pork uh, in this piece of legislation that I've seen since the last time I was in Hawaii and was having a dinner at a luau. Uh, The the hog had an apple in its mouth is the only difference that we can see here. Uh, It's an absolute terrible piece of legislation. It has so many special interest groups piled in there that are receiving revenue, and it's all on the backs of the working men and women across this nation. Many of them are not going to receive any benefit from this, including, by the way, 
including another $45 billion for Ukraine when the president only requested $37 billion uh, to send to a country uh, who's having a border conflict with Russia and is, is uh, under siege right now at a time when our very own southern border is being flooded by drugs and criminals and, and terrorists. So I think that the priorities are terribly misguided in the United States Senate. And I think that they missed an incredible opportunity to wait until the Republicans took over the majority in the House of Representatives on January the 3rd, where we could begin a budgeting process to actually start curbing the out-of-control spending in this city. Uh, Congressman, I want to... Uh get a bit more detail if I can on that point because you mentioned the fact that there's basically something for everyone in this omnibus bill. Uh, but we have today on the program been talking about the border crisis and the border problem. And in the last administration, President Trump was attempting to build a border wall with $3 billion. Uh, this is a $1.7 trillion package. And you mentioned that $45 billion is allotted to go over to Ukraine. Is there anything in this package intended to address the border security issue? Look, they're going to try and send some additional funds down to the border, but I've gone down to the border three times and, and visited and talked to Border Patrol agents, local law enforcement, local farmers and ranchers and businesses. And what they have told us is that additional funding to the border is merely going to help them to process this wave of illegal immigrants and release them into our country faster. Uh, that's a major problem. I'm really concerned with the uh, things that have been funded in this legislation, such as $575 million for family planning in areas where population growth, in, in quotes, threatens biodiversity or endangered species. It's like Planned Parenthood hasn't been efficient enough and killing off people around the world. Now we want to spend another $575 million for these types of programs. $477,000 for anti-racist training from the Equity Institute. $524 million for a diversity, equity, inclusion, structural racism-focused Depart uh, National Institute of Health project. You just that the list goes on and on, to, uh, Joseph, of, of things that your viewers and my constituents would not support. What's the result of this? We know that the leadership in the Senate and frankly, Speaker Pelosi as well, they're hoping to get this done by Thursday. Do you think that's going to happen? Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm fearful that it is. I saw that 25 Senate, uh, Senate Republicans voted to advance this legislation today, which means that they're probably going to be inclined to go ahead and uh, vote to, to send it actually to the House. And right now, the Democrats do have the majority in the House, and so they can pass it. Uh, unfortunately, we did not have leadership um, in the form of Leader McCarthy giving a loud signal early on about opposition to this legislation. And that is what has led us to this point. That we, we should have been fighting tooth and nail to make sure that we weren't sending any signals of any support for an omnibus so that we could have passed a short-term spending resolution, a continuing resolution uh, to put us on the path towards developing our own budget. Congressman? Yeah, we are out of time. I got to cut you off. Congressman Matt Rosendale, thanks for your time today. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Joseph. Coming up next, Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky arrived in Washington today. I'll tell you about his visit and the status of the war with General Jerry Boykin when we come back. Stay with us. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. 
Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky arrived in Washington today for a White House visit with President Biden and a primetime address to Congress tonight. This marks Zelensky's first trip outside Ukraine since February's Russian invasion and comes right as Congress considers a $1.7 trillion spending package that includes nearly $45 billion for Ukraine. Included in the aid to Ukraine is $1.8 billion in weapons such as the Patriot Missile Defense System Zelensky has repeatedly requested. How will this affect Ukraine's battle against the Russian invasion? Joining me now to discuss this is FRC's Executive Vice President, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who spent the last four years of his 36-year military career serving as Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He was also one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. He joins me in studio. General, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's good to be with you, Joseph. Now, let's talk a bit about this omnibus package. It's been criticized heavily for a variety of reasons, process as much as substance, um, but it includes uh, $45 billion nearly in Ukrainian aid, including, as we talked about, this, um, the Patriot Missile Defense System, other things. What's your take on that aid package, appropriate or not? I think it is appropriate. Uh, the only thing that I uh, regret is that the Europeans are not paying a uh, part of that. I think that the Europeans have gotten away with uh, not do, carrying their own weight there, and uh, and this is a European war, so we need to consider that. But uh, I'm all in for the for the Ukrainians, but I just don't think the American taxpayers should pay the whole bill. And, and let's talk about that a, a bit. Why is it that the American taxpayers are the ones largely funding this European war. Why are we willing to do it? Why are they not willing to do it? Well, I think we're willing to do it because we see it as a long-term as a national security issue uh, for America. And, uh, and how does that, fall, how does that uh, uh, play out? Well, what if, they, what if uh, Putin takes the Ukraine? 
And then he decides, well, okay, I'm going to rest up here for a while, and I'm going to go after one of the other European nations, like maybe Romania or Poland or uh, one of the Baltic uh, regions there. Uh, and then where does it stop? And, and then does that encourage China to now go after Taiwan? There's a lot at stake here. So I think that the, uh, the Americans uh, should be involved in this. We should be helping but I think the Europeans are slacking on this, and I think that they're, our president needs to show some leadership. You remember Donald Trump stood up before the NATO commanders and said, pay your share. And they did. Yeah, and, but everybody they said. They paid much more. They paid, they paid more. And, uh, and what was interesting was everybody said, oh, he's just alienated us from our uh, allies. Uh, they're never going to work with us again. But what did they do in response to that? They paid up. And, uh, and, and so it's time for Joe Biden to do the same thing now. One of the criticisms of U.S. aid to Ukraine is that we don't know what's actually happening to it. Do you have confidence that the money so far, and we've sent $48 billion so far to Ukraine in aids of various forms, do you have confidence that the money, the aid we've sent there, has been used for the purposes intended? Well, the preponderance of it, yes, I think certainly yes. But uh, most countries in that part of the world, they have a, a significant level of corruption. And even though the Ukrainians are fighting for their lives, there is some yahoo out there that is going to take advantage and exploit this opportunity. So uh, I think that there is probably some level of corruption associated with that. But nonetheless, uh, what we can say is that the aid that we've sent them, they have put to very, very good use. And they have, uh, for the most part, they have really kicked the Russians around the battlefield there. Yeah, and to that point, you mentioned the concern that, well, if Putin is successful in Ukraine, who will he go after next, right? Because we know he's an ambitious guy. He has this vision of recreating the USSR, and that extends uh, far beyond Ukraine. Do you see that threat uh, as being as large it is, is it just as big of a threat now as it was back in February when he started, given how things have gone in Ukraine? No, I don't think it's as likely. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's that's why America is involved right now. That's why we're we're shoving equipment and material in there as quickly as we can. Uh, but no, I think that he has this has been a total humiliation for Putin. And what he has done is he's actually unified NATO uh, and NATO is more unified now than I've seen in the in the years that I've watched NATO or worked with the NATO nations. They're more unified now, and the, and the European Union is as well, because they all have a common enemy, and that has a tendency to unify people. <laughs> it is galvanizing, right? Yeah. The, the friend, the enemy of your enemy is often your friend, and I I, I do think we see that exactly dynamic right. at play. About foreign aid, for those of us who have never given or received foreign aid, is this really just a matter where the U.S. Treasury just writes a check to the Ukrainian government and they cash that? And we know that we've talked about, like, the Patriot Missile System, which is, of course, that's capital, military aid, right, Pres presumably is shipped over. Um, but when we're just talking about money being sent that they can use, is that a check that is written? No, not always. A lot of times it's it's an in-kind uh, donation to them. And—, and when you talk about this uh, $49 billion, almost almost 49, uh, or 45, I'm sorry, uh, a lot of that is not necessarily going to be cash that we're giving them. It's going to be the kinds of materials that we are talking about here with the Patriot missiles and uh, some of the long-range artillery and the drones and the other, uh, even MRAPs, which is a... Uh, a highly armored uh, mobility system that they can move around in a uh, in a mo in a mechanized environment. So uh, it it comes in different ways. Sometimes it comes in the form of training. Sometimes uh, we uh, we fund training teams, mobile training teams that go over and 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 help them to uh, develop their tactics, their techniques, their their capabilities. Or uh, we pay sometimes to bring some of their people here to the United States to go to things like the uh, military colleges here, the U.S. Army War College, uh, the Navy uh, Staff College, whatever it might be. So it comes in different forms, but it's not just a, a check, which 
based on the way we as Americans look at it, that's what we're talking about, but we're not. Yeah. That's really not the case. Should the American taxpayers be in this for the long haul until Putin just surrenders and goes home? Yes, but I'm going to go back and say, but Joe Biden needs to lean on the Europeans. He needs to force them, as Donald Trump did, to pay up, pay their share. And that is something that that, uh, our president has not done. And until he does that and until he shows them some resolve with regards to them paying their share, uh, we're going to continue to bear the burden on this. And I'm not in favor of that at all. Another topic for you, Afghanistan, Uh, the Republican the new Republican leadership that will that will take uh, office in January in the next Congress has um, not threatened but promised that they are going to investigate the withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan uh, that, that happened last summer. And Ned Price, who's the the Department of State spokesman, he has been commenting on this. And yesterday he talked about. What happened in Afghanistan in terms of maybe mission drift is the right way to refer to this. I want to play clip five, and then I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Let's play that. We went into Afghanistan with uh, a defined mission. Many people lost sight of that mission over time, but we were successful uh, in concluding that mission. What's your response to that, General? Uh, I probably shouldn't say it on... On the air, well, it is a family but, uh, program. But yeah, this yes. is a family program. That that was nonsense. That was absolute lie. And this is another example of how this administration will look you right in the eye and lie to you. And that guy just lied to us in what he said. Listen, we went in there with a mission, and that was to get all the Americans out and to get those allies who had worked with us, fought with us during the 20 years that we were there. And we did not do that. And and this president was hard-headed and would not listen to the advice of the people that really know more about this kind of thing than he does. Uh, he closed an air base that was fully functional that was not in a major metropolitan area, and we could have used that as a place to uh, launch this thing from. And uh, he refused that, and then he wouldn't establish a debt. I mean, he established a deadline, but he wouldn't modify that deadline. He, he, he could not bring himself to modify the deadline to give us more time to get the rest of those people, many of which were Americans. There are Americans still there. That guy just lied to us. We're used to congressional investigations. They seem to be perpetual in one thing or another, and we know that the uh, House Democrats have been investigating President Trump, you know, the entire time that they've been in office the last Still two are. years. Still, yeah, and, and presumably would continue to as long as they could. Um, now the House Republicans are going to investigate uh, President Biden on a number of things, including the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Is this merely just politicking in an attempt to just kind of smear your political opponents? Is there something substantive that we can learn that we need to learn from these investigations that makes this question in this inquiry more than just political grandstanding. Yeah, no, I think there's some, there's some very practical reasons why we need to do this. First of all, the, the, this whole situation in Afghanistan was probably the largest uh, single foreign policy failure in U.S. history. I mean, look, we, we, we have an ethos that says we'll never leave an American behind. Look, I, I, Joseph, I don't want to get into war stories, but right. I commanded an operation that fought for 18 hours in Mogadishu, Somalia, to get two dead bodies out of a crashed airplane. Nobody was going to leave them. We were not going to leave them. Now, contrast that to Benghazi. Contrast that to Afghanistan. Our standard, our ethos, our value is that we don't leave people behind. Yet that's exactly what we did there, and the the president just simply wanted to hear nothing more about it. He wanted to claim victory just like this guy did on this program here just a few minutes ago. He wanted to claim a victory and convince the Americans just like he wants to convince us that the border is secure. Our lying eyes are telling us something entirely different. And that is that seems to be a pattern for this administration. And I got to tell you, I think it's wearing thin on a lot of Americans. One other issue I want to get to you 
get to with you very quickly is the Iran nuclear deal. Um, President Biden um, kind of got caught on camera saying that this is dead. Let's play clip six. There's an exchange here uh, that, that I want you to react to. President Biden. So the audio there is a little challenging, but someone asks him, President Biden, would you please announce the JCPOA is dead? That's the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, can you announce that? He says, no. She says, why not? And he says, well, there's a lot of reasons. It's dead, but we're not going to announce it. Long story. What's your reaction to his acknowledgement that it's dead, but his uh, desire to not confirm that? Well, I'm one of the probably the happiest people <laughs> that's watched this so far. Uh, I'm glad that it's dead. I'm glad that Tell he recognized why. why are you glad yeah. that it's dead? Listen, this, uh, if you go back and look at the original JCPOA before Trump pulled out of it, uh, it actually put the, uh, the, the military there on a footing to have a nuclear weapon. So it was a matter of it may have taken as much as the long, long goal would have been 10 years, but they were still going to get a nuclear weapon. Now, when was that? When was that signed? 2015. So we're already five years into, or no, seven years into that window. So uh, it would put them on a pathway to a to a nuclear weapon. And if you look at how flawed it was, for example, we had to call them and give them uh, X amount of notice before we could go in and uh, and actually uh, look at one of their sites and actually do an inspection of that site. And uh, military sites were off limits altogether. So look at all of those things that we agreed to under the Obama administration. Now, what's the other part of it is? The other part of it is when Iran has a nuclear weapon, they are a threat not only to our great allies in that part of the country or that part of the world, uh, the Israelis, but also to the Saudis and to the other Gulf countries for that matter because as one of my friends uh, from the Middle East that uh, I wrote a book with, as a matter of fact, uh, he's a former Muslim Brotherhood terrorist, but he told me, if there is only one bomb, it goes to Israel. If there's two, the second one goes to Saudi Arabia. The Saudis and the Iranians have a long-standing feud. They are not allies. They're all Muslims, but it's a Sunni-Shia split. It's an Arab-Persian split, and... Uh, Nobody is is happier than those two countries there because they that's their sworn enemies. So why won't he just announce that it's dead in about uh, thirty seconds? Because he made a big issue of the fact that he was going to reverse a Donald Trump uh, policy, okay, and get us back into this. You know, just like he, he he reversed so many of those policies that were implemented during the Trump administration, and he came out and very proudly thumped his chest and said he's we're back in the JCPOA. Well, he doesn't want to have to now go out and say, well, they told us to take a hike. <laughs> so he know? agrees with Trump, but he just doesn't want anybody to and, know. Well, that. I don't know if he agrees with Trump or not, but he certainly doesn't want to have to admit that he made a yeah. serious mistake and underestimated the, uh, the people there, the mullahs that uh, make up the Supreme Council there. General Boykin, educational as always. Thanks so much for your time. Good to be with you, Joseph. Friends, thank you for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Lots to be concerned about. But remember, do not be afraid. There, We will have trouble, but he has overcome the world. Fear God and nothing else. We'll see you tomorrow. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.